Hey, I'm Maria Spear Alice, and I hate rushing. It never yields good things to rush, whether it's rushing to finish a client project or rushing to put on eyeliner. But when we have 10,000 things on our minds at any given moment, it's hard not to fall into that habit. I've had a lot of very specific technical training in my life, hello music school and law school, but none of that training prepared me for being a business owner, a lawyer, a wife, a mom, or really just a functional adult woman with a huge to-do list. I'm no guru, but I created Don't Rush Me as a way to talk more about the slow, simple tools you can start using today to make your life and business life a little easier. So whether you're a healer, a coach, or a business owner, a professional craving that slowdown, come with me as we learn about the small, easy things that can make a huge difference in your mind, body, or business. Welcome back to Don't Rush Me, the podcast all about intentionally creating a slower, more ease-filled life and business. Okay, I have a question for you. When I say creativity, what do you think of? Probably think of photography, pottery, painting, design, videography. Those are all kind of typically creative activities and they require a certain level of skill, right? Well, what if I told you that creativity can actually be a daily self-care, no pressure practice where you're just focusing on the pleasure that you get from just making something. That's what today's guest is all about. I am talking to Samantha Rembold, who is a multi-passionate serial entrepreneur. We had to go back and count recently how many businesses she started. She has started six businesses. <laughs> she helps modern creatives thrive in a digital landscape and is a pioneer for the future of work, a world where we can do what we love and, more importantly, love what we do. Sam believes that our creative businesses feel a lot like romantic relationships, and you'll hear that theme in our conversation today. Sam provides the tools to have a healthy relationship with our businesses, and I loved chatting with her because what we realized as she was going back through those businesses that she started is that there was a common thread, and that was making things, creating things, even in fields that you wouldn't typically think of as creative. If you listen through to the end, you'll learn Sam's tip for one incredibly easy practice that you can work into your day that will actually benefit your mind and body and your business. Before you hear from Sam, let's kick off with a holistic history lesson on sage. Sage is, of course, a culinary herb. It's used in savory dishes, and it originated in the Mediterranean. But it's also a medicinal herb. According to Rosemary Gladstar's Medicinal Herbs book, sage's medicinal properties can also lower cholesterol, rebuild vitality and strength that has been lost during an illness, and is a tonic for the liver. So it makes sense that ancient Greeks and Romans used sage to help one better digest fatty foods. According to the Herbal Academy, early Greek pharmacologist and botanist Dioscorides hailed sage as one of the most important herbs of that time and used it for ulcers and topically to stop a bleeding wound. Wow. Traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine use sage to treat swelling, infection, pain relief, and even memory enhancement. And there's a study out of Northumbria University in the UK that supports this. In terms of an energetic practice, burning white sage is a go-to spiritual tool dating back years and years and years. It's all about keeping the energetic body in balance. Burning it releases negative ions, which is linked to improving mood. Of course, if you choose to burn sage, do so carefully. Whether you're cooking it, drinking sage tea, or burning it, now you have a little idea of the history of this beautiful herb. Okay, are you ready? Here's Samantha Rembold with Passionland. Hi, Sam. Hi, Maria. I'm so excited to have you here, not just because I am excited that you will be a part of Creative Soul Sisterhood in a couple of weeks, next week next week. And so I'm like in the Sam energy right now because here I'm excited to talk about your journey and kind of how you got where you are because I said in your intro, you know, you've started six businesses, which is yeah. incredible. And I want to know, let's start let's start at the beginning or like early early Sam years, like, did you study business or entrepreneurship? Or was that something that's just kind of always interested you? Tell us where it began. 
Yeah. Um, so I was working in sales. I was selling health insurance, which is like the least creative, <laughs> exciting industry to be in. Um, and then I got this bug, like it wasn't the entrepreneurial bug in the sense of like, I wanted more money or I wanted more freedom. I really just wanted to make things. Like I definitely came into this from the creativity standpoint. I didn't feel like I could be very creative with my sales job. So I started a little candle business and I just wanted to like make things. So I remember going to the craft store and just like going up and down the aisles and seeing what I could make. And then I saw these like make your own candle kits. And I was like, oh, I bet I could make some candles. And um, that's sort of how I got started. It, it just came from a very creative uh, a, a longing for creativity. Isn't that amazing that that's yeah. what it, that's what motivated you then. And now here you are with Passionland. It is funny. I actually did not put that together until right now <laughs> because <laughs> along the way, I kind of like, as I, I went further into the, the journey and I, I started different businesses, I had different things guiding me like at different phases. I was really motivated by freedom or motivated by how big I could build something. But at the, at the root of it, I think I just wanted a life where I could make things and get paid to make things and not have to worry about money. And I could just focus on creating new things that no one had made before. Yep. Yep. So tell, you know, I know your story, but tell uh, the listeners, you know, okay, so you started with candles and making candles mm -hmm. and what was the evolution to oh. <laughs> passion land and where you are today? It's so goofy. It like, when you read it, it kind of seems like a toddler wrote it. Like if you gave a toddler <laughs> book and you were like, all right, what, how many jobs can one person have? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was such a fun uh, opportunity. So I started out with candles. I had this big idea. Uh, it was called honeymoon candle. That was my very first business. I knew nothing Which about is a business. a great name, by the way, honeymoon. It's oh. like, Ooh, it's just like gives yeah. you a feeling. <laughs> well, I thought it was happy. I thought it was fun. And my idea was I would make custom candles. So I went right out of the gate with something that was like very, uh, high time demanding from me, but I was having fun. I wanted to make candles for couples that were going on their honeymoon. And the idea was that I would make them two candles that had the same scent. One of them would be their honey and one of them would be their moon. And they would take one on their honeymoon and then they would have a candle to keep at home. And that way, you know, you can kind of like associate smells with certain points in your life. And so I wanted them to be able to like have a way to capture their honeymoon. Yes. I thought it was a very fun vibe. I think I made dozens of dollars. It was not a financial <laughs> success. But I learned a lot. I did a lot of craft shows around Nashville. I got to uh, really get plugged into that part of, of the community. Uh, met a lot of amazing creators. And then I evolved uh, Honeymoon Candle into another candle business called Wax Pops, which was like artisan candles and wax melts. So I really focused on the melts side of things, which are like the little things you put in a, a warmer for anyone who doesn't know. Mm -hmm. um, and I... I studied chocolatiers because I wanted to do something so different because usually people would make wax melts by pouring the wax into these, um, they're like these six cube plastic molds. So you kind of pop them out like a shell. They come in what you, you make them in. And I thought, you know, I think these could be more beautiful. Uh, there was a really uh, amazing chocolate shop uh, near me where I grew up and I was always really inspired by them. And so I thought, what if I could make these wax melts that looked as beautiful as these gorgeous artisan chocolates? So I studied how to make them. I actually got molds from like these fancy chocolatier companies in Belgium. And I learned how to reformulate my wax so that it could hold up in these molds. I had so much fun making it. I invented some new products. I made shower melts. They're more popular now, but they were mm -hmm. not around when I started where you like would put them in your shower and they would steam out essential oils. Um, I got to make color changing candles. So I really got to just play around with like inventing things just for the fun of it. Um, and then I would sell them at local markets and festivals. And I did that for like, want to say under two years I had a oh wow longer than I than I thought yeah it was a pretty good chunk of time I I spent that was one of my longer projects um 
And it was so fun. I even had a little space over in East Nashville. So I rented a warehouse and I shared it with three other dudes. Uh, they would, they, there was a woodworker, there was someone who did something with clay. And then there was a guy who I, I still keep in contact with. He, uh, was a guitar tech for some of like, I, I'm not going to share the names, but he would, he, like for some of the big names, he would go on tour with them and he would be their guitar tech. Um, and so I had this little studio space there and I would make all my candles because I got to the point where I was making things and they would take up so much space and I needed like a studio, which felt like a big girl move. Like having my own space yeah. was so cool. Um, in practice, it was, you know, I was really, really busy all the time and I was like fulfilling these uh, wholesale orders. So I, I was busy, I was making stuff, I needed a lot of space. Um, in reality, it was not a very sustainable business. I, I, uh, it lasted exactly as long as it was supposed to, but it was just two years of me being incredibly busy and making almost no money, which was honestly fun. Like I'm, I'm privileged in that I was able to do that. Um, but it was not like a long-term solution for me. So then there's a, a whole other story that bakes into it, but basically I would sell my candles at these markets and festivals. And at one of them, it was a Christmas festival and I was supposed to sell my candles at this Christmas festival in Franklin, Tennessee, and it snowed that whole weekend. And so instead of selling my candles, I decided to set up a hot chocolate bar in my space and I put it all together in a couple days. I, I bought the cocoa mix. I rented the hot water carafes. I got a helper. Um, I just threw it all together and thought at the end of the day, if I sell no hot chocolate, I can just donate all these materials to someone. Um, and so that ended up being a massive hit. It was like right place, right time. I had umbrellas exactly as it started raining. Um, and I had the ends in the cold will want exactly. something. More. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was like still to this date, one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had as an entrepreneur. I think everyone should experience that level of demand at least once in your life, because it is just so invigorating to know that you can make something that people like would pay anything for in the sense not that you can like you should or can't exploit them but in the sense of having something that is in high demand like changes something in your heart it's like oh I can provide something that really lights people up that makes them feel for me it made them feel warm it made them feel nostalgic it made them enjoy the experience with their children more but um I don't know. I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity because I think I've been chasing that ever since. Uh, it's been really nice to, to know that you can make something that really connects with people. And when you do that, you happen to have a very successful, you know, uh, day for your business, but also more importantly, I think you just feel like full, you know, like your heart feels full because so often, uh, in my journey, I was making things that people either weren't paying attention to or like didn't know about. And so it was nice to just change that in my mind, even if it was for a weekend. And there was, I'm, I mean, I'm guessing there was a rush, right? Like, whoa. Yeah. Like, like emotionally or like yes, a rush? an emotional yeah. rush. Yes, there definitely was. I remember going home, like just crying the whole way home, just like oh. happy tears thinking, oh gosh, I, I mean, I had done those events with candles and I would basically be begging people to like stop by my booth and smell the candles and like buy. And I had an hour long line for the entire weekend with the hot cocoa bar. So just, it really made me, that's kind of where I fell out of love with candles because I was like, oh, you know what? I have been grinding at this for two years. No one really cares. And also like, do I care? I don't really think I care about candles as much as I once did. I think I care about making things and and creating things for people and maybe I can make experiences for them. So that transitioned me into the hot cocoa bar, which is what I did next. Um, I started the Nashville cocoa bar. Um, I also called it the hot cocoa bar. I never trademarked anything. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I Hot cocoa bar it. would be a tough, tough trademark to grab. Yeah. <laughs> that was before I knew you. Um, <laughs> So I would do hot cocoa events around town. Um, my brother-in-law is a carpenter. And so I uh, asked him to help me. I don't know. I'm sure I like bartered him with some meals or something, but he <laughs> uh, helped me build this little cocoa bar. And it was like, um, it was literally six of uh, those wooden crate things that you can get at like, I don't know, Walmart or something. And he basically 
like forged them together so that they formed a little cart. So some of the crates faced me and some of them were like a tabletop. And then he got some marble from the like Lowe's and we made like a nice marble top for it. And then he put wheels on the bottom of it. So it would come apart so I could fit it in my SUV, which was amazing. And I could actually move it by myself. Um, and then I would set up my cart at uh, apartment complexes, corporate events, weddings, and I would just create this cocoa, this custom cocoa experience for people. And that was super fun. Um, and then I started to think, well, if it works for cocoa, why couldn't it work for other drinks? Like why couldn't it work for margaritas or mojitos or something? And that led me into fancy sips. So I did the cocoa bar for like one winter season. And then I realized it was not going to be a year long business. And so I think that's where I was inspired to, to turn it into fancy sips. So every business kind of evolved into something else. So the cocoa bar kind of evolved into fancy sips. And the idea behind fancy sips was that it would be um, mobile catering, but it would be like these custom fancy beverages. So it would be like the fanciest margarita you could make. So you could, you know, put together like a rosemary, watermelon, jalapeno margarita instead of just, you know, a regular Here's a margarita. Yeah. Yeah. So you could kind of customize your drink. Um, and that actually was one of the hardest businesses I've ever had to like uh, run because when you introduce liquor into a business from a liability standpoint, it is <laughs> just an absolute, it's one headache after another, um, not only from the legal liability standpoint, which is also like really expensive, that insurance um, is not cheap, but there's a really tricky game that you play because as the person who's making the drinks, you're not allowed to purchase the alcohol. So whoever's hosting the event has to purchase the alcohol and have it there on site. And then you're kind of in charge of the alcohol. It's a whole thing. It was just so complicated to explain to people all the time. Um, and I was trying to decide if I wanted to pivot into like really large events like weddings, which kind of the trailer like the, the mobile bar trailer folks had really cornered the market there. And I was just this little tiny cart. So I was trying to find my place in the market. Um, and then someone, I, I was in my, I was in my phase where I was saying yes to everything. Um, yes. because I just, we've all been there <laughs> Yeah, where someone asks you if you do something and you're like, I totally do that. Um, and so someone, I was reaching out to like 50 people a day in town. So wedding industry professionals, um, corporations, uh, anyone with an office in Nashville, I would reach out and say, Hey, do you want this little margarita cart for your employees? It's like an appreciation thing. And I had reached out to, um, or I reached out to the Patty Wax candle bar. They're a local, um, candle company in Nashville, but they also did, uh, like in-person candle pouring events at their stores. And they had asked me if I would come in and teach a cocktail making class. And I was like, oh my gosh, I do that all the time. Yes, I would love to. Yes. And then I, <laughs> they were like, you're going to, I can't remember how much I made, but it was like 40 bucks a person or something. And I was like, that's insane. Absolutely. Like I will do that. So I went out and I figured out how to do it. And I wrote this long script. It's like 12 pages in Google docs. I'm sure I still have it. And I showed up and I'm like prepared. I have memorized the script. I'm going to say these exact words. And of course, I just put down the script and started teaching. And it was so much more fun that way. Um, but it was one of those, uh, like another lightning bolt experience where I was like, oh my goodness, I really got to connect with people. I got to give them an experience. I got to teach them something. It wasn't like I made them this awesome drink and gave it to them. I actually got to give them the skills to go home and do it themselves. And that was a million times more fulfilling. So I did that for a while, about a year, I did mixology classes and that just came with its own fun, like obstacles and lessons, learning how to be an instructor. Um, I started to hire people in Nashville that could also help me teach classes. And then I met you and I, uh, <laughs> we were, we were working on expanding that side of the business. Um, in like and February of 2020. No. Yes. The yes. Yeah. Was yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like Q1 2020. So I had been working on it since December, 2019. And from then until March, 2020, we were working out the details because someone had wanted to essentially franchise fancy sips classes. And so they were going to take the mixology class 
system that I had set up and they were going to put it in some of their locations and their employees were going to teach the classes. And so I got to learn all about what makes a franchise, which is actually really complicated and interesting. Yes. Um, and I think you were the first person to tell me like, this might be a franchise. Right. Yes. I know just enough you, to know, like, Ooh, yeah. we should talk to an expert on this because this could be something yeah. that we want to cover you for. Totally. And I'm glad you did, because if you like sign up for something that's a franchise and you don't identify it as a franchise, there are like big uh, repercussions for that. I did not yep. want to be in that territory. I knew that. Yes. Much. So it was you and me and another attorney, and we were working on a franchise agreement with this company. And we were kind of like, we were moving forward and it seemed like it was going to go through. The deal was going to finalize in like March of 2020. We were kind of at that, the last few uh, steps of the contract. Mm-hmm. And then COVID happened um, yes. and in-person events completely shut down. Um, so from a financial standpoint, all of the money that I had made in 2019 and that I had gotten in pre-bookings for 2020 events were going into the legal fees for this agreement. Um, and the franchise attorney was, uh, it, it was not inexpensive because it's a really long document. Yeah. So uh, it was an investment. I should, it was a very much an investment. And, um, so I had all of these bills to pay and I had absolutely no money coming in. All of my clients had canceled their upcoming in-person classes because of COVID stayed home. So I had to get really, well, at first I got sad. I did a lot of crying. <laughs> I, did, I did a lot of feeling bad for myself. Um, and then I decided that wasn't going to fix anything. So I started offering, um, I, I would record my classes. So I would set up my camera and I would record the mixology classes and sell them on my website for like $10. They were extremely wow. inexpensive. Yeah. And you could just get, um, like an hour long mixology class for 10 bucks. And that was like fine, but not anything great. It obviously didn't connect with people. And so I had spent about a month, month and a half doing that. And I was busy all the time. So it felt good because, you know, we were all stuck at home. It was a really freaky time to be an entrepreneur at that time, especially one that had such an in-person element to your business. So I was like, okay, I'm busy. That's good. But I wasn't making any money. It was not sustainable. Uh, And then someone asked me if I would teach a virtual mixology class, like a live one. And I was like, oh, so like, you don't want me to record it for you. You want me to be on camera with you. And they were like, oh yes, that's exactly what we want. And again, I was like, of course I do that. Like I do that. (laughs) That's that's my bread and honey. So I set up uh, my laptop on like this rickety stack of things, just praying that it wouldn't fall over. And I set up my system and I, I made a little grocery list for everyone coming to the class. I put together the recipe cards, sent it their way and they showed up and they loved it. And it was such a great experience, especially at that point. I mean, it was such a capsule of humanity, you know, 2020 was just, um, a very unique time. I I remember it vividly, but when you were able to actually have a connection with someone, it felt very, very special. And that's what I got to experience. And it felt like there was magic there. So I just put it on my website that I offered virtual mixology classes. And I think, I think someone had to like fill out a form to book one and it went really, really well. Um, I was suddenly busier than I ever could have imagined, but it was working. And then I decided to, I realized that I could scale this system. And so I Um, started to add some employees because I was much busier than I could possibly handle. And I set up online booking on my website so that I didn't have to manually book people. They could actually book a mixology class on my website. And that was like totally the secret sauce. Um, None of my competitors were ever able to do that, which was amazing. It really set us apart. And over the course of a year, I think we did a thousand virtual mixology classes at a team of six full-time girls. It was such an incredible team, um, but a lot of it really uh, leaned on the demand for virtual experiences. So I just got to be at like the forefront of the virtual experience space. Um, there were a lot of folks in that industry who got to kind of see it just was like the supernova, like all of a sudden the demand was through the roof. Uh, we could make amazing, cool experiences. People were thrilled. Um, and then sort of like around the end of 2021, early 2022, it fizzled out. 
uh, which meant that people were getting better, you know, and that the world was opening back up. So yes, that was, um, that was great for different reasons, but for the business was really hard. And so I had to decide, did we want to go back to in-person classes or do we want to stay virtual? And I just had like no desire to go back to in-person because I knew how much more work it took from me and how much um, I had gotten that taste for a scalable system with fancy sips, virtual mixology classes, because my job was really as a creative director. I got to create new cocktail recipes. I got to manage the systems. I got to hire my employees and have great relationships with them. And I couldn't go back to being in it every day, you know, teaching the classes full time. That just was not something I could do. And I'm so glad you said that about being the creative director, because listening to your story, I mean, I'm familiar with your story, but every mm-hmm. step, the common thread is creativity. And I, mm-hmm. I, I never really thought of thought, thought it through that way, but you wanted to make something, either mm-hmm. something physical, or you wanted to make something unique, like a wax thing that is shaped like a fancy chocolate or you, (laughs) you know, or you're making an experience like a custom cocoa or a custom cocktail or a a really intimate experience when we were craving intimate experiences. So there's Mm -hmm. a thread there where you are a creative, you're, you're, like you said, a creative director, you have been a creative director for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. So I know where the story is going and that you um, then pivoted into fonts and colors really from a pure from curiosity, right? Yeah, I, I had, uh, it was sort of towards the tail end of Fancy Sips as far as it being a virtual mixology powerhouse. And we went from like um, just unreal demand to uh, like a hard sales period. It was really hard. It was hard for my team. I had to make some really tough decisions. Um, and I realized that this business probably wasn't going to last through the rest of the 2020s um, or the version of it that could was one that I didn't really want want to participate in. Um, and I had had some other things come up. It was a business that definitely revolved around alcohol. And there were some things that came up in my personal life, some family members that struggled with alcohol addiction. And I just felt this passion for the business like completely die because I didn't really want to be building something that revolved around drinking. It just was a personal thing. Yeah. And I, I could not like ethically want I just didn't want to push that in a way that I once thought was fun. It suddenly felt different. So, well, and if I, if I can insert something there, you know, I'm all about the, how we can't tend to our businesses if we don't tend to our mind and body. And that's where for you, like the mind and body was not syncing up to the business. Absolutely not. Yeah, it was. A lot of times towards the end of a business, it feels like um, the tail end of a relationship where you're like, oh, this is not going to be lasting longer. I don't know if I want to do the full breakup right now, but I am definitely not going to be with you in a couple of years. And it's kind of a sad realization. If anyone's ever been there, when you realize that the relationship is not what you thought it was, or the future of the relationship is not what you thought it would be it's really sad. Um, and I mean, I could talk about that at length, maybe we can get into it, but I think it's beautiful to grieve what you thought it was going to be, but also appreciate all the stuff that you got throughout the relationship. And that's the way I think our businesses feel. They, they're just relationships. We have these like passionate relationships with them. And my one with fancy sips just came to an end. And you still have to do what's best for you, just like a relationship. Yeah. You know, you have yeah. that sadness and that grief that like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. And I know that this is not forever. And I'm really yeah. sad about that. But I've got to do what's best for me here. Totally. Yeah. It's a happy, set thing. Yeah. And then that was in 2022, I'm guessing. Yeah. Right at the, or it was at the end of 2021, early 2022, I started to play around with graphic design. Um, I had always had, I discovered actually a passion for graphic design through all these businesses because I was uh, too broke to be able to hire a web brand designer most of the time. And so I was always making my own websites um, and designing my own branding. And I realized that I was like extremely particular about it. Like I, I knew what felt good and I definitely knew what didn't feel good. And so I saw branding everywhere. I really connected with this branding world. Um, and then for Fancy Sips, when we were like 
uh, booming, I had hired a professional branded web design team to come in and totally rehaul our whole brand and website. And while I was working with this team, I was like, oh my goodness, you have my dream job. I didn't even realize <laughs> that like this, this was something I could do. And so I started to do that for fun. I reached out to a couple local businesses and I was like, hey, I patronize your business. I absolutely love, like there was a, a vegan restaurant in Nashville that I had been going to eat for years. It was one of our favorite places, gorgeous inside. And their website was like uh, very basic. And it was just, it did not reflect the amazing experience that you get in the restaurant. So I just emailed the founder and I was like, Hey, I'm a huge fan of your business. I love your restaurant. Um, I don't feel like your website really reflects how amazing you are. And I would love to help <laughs> change that. And so I just offered, I, I think I charged like 500 bucks for my first website. It was very oh entry level, but I got to learn it. It was a, it was a win-win. Um, so I just kind of built a brand and web design business off of that. I would do little uh, challenges for myself where I would like just make things for 30 days and share them on Instagram and TikTok. Um, and then I started to build a, a following related to graphic design on TikTok that just grew over the next couple months. Um, I had a weird incident last year where about a year ago, right now, um, I had posted a video about email signatures that like went mega viral on TikTok and gained an, like a huge audience um, on TikTok. And then I was sort of, that's when things started to go south for me on the graphic design side. I think this massive social audience really messed with my head psychologically. Um, I went from just doing it for fun and doing it because I liked it to having all of these eyeballs on everything that I did. And I started to realize that I, that it was going to be very easy for the tail to wag the dog. So I wasn't necessarily making things that I wanted to make. I was making things because my clients needed them or because I thought they would perform well on social media. And it was that just puts a, a lot of pressure on, on the creativity system. Oh yeah. I like really damaged my creativity last year, which is crazy because if you had looked at it on paper, I had hundreds of thousands of people following me on social media. I had, my inbox was full of like a hundred emails a day of brands asking to work with me or clients asking to work with me. And it like, it would have looked like total success, like what I wanted. And it was really crushing to learn that that's not what I wanted. And looking back on all of your ventures, like for, you would look at graphic design as like the most creative or the, with the most potential for you to be as creative as you want to be. Totally. Yeah. I think we are only just realizing that as service providers, actually, I shouldn't say we, I am only just realizing <sighs> that as a creative service provider, it is so easy to like suck out all of your creativity because the job is that you're, I like to equate it to a cow. It's like um, with your creativity, you treat it like it's this magical cow. And so for me, my cow's milk was graphic design stuff. So I could do branding, I could do websites, website development. And so that's what my cow made. And I would treat it like it was this cow that was made to produce for me. So I wasn't like staring at my cow and thinking, oh my goodness, you are so beautiful. I appreciate you. I wasn't like adoring my cow I was almost like a factory farmer and I was like you have oh my to gosh you. you have to work for me and so I didn't tend to my creativity I tried to like mechanize my creativity and it broke me internally and I never saw that coming because I thought I was about to have like when I started doing graphic design, I thought I found my thing. I thought I found my true professional love. And a lot of my friends did too. Like I I know we had conversations and I would have friends say like, oh, this is the perfect job for you. You seem so happy. And I was until I started having to like be a service-based graphic designer and be in this ecosystem. And I was lucky enough to have help. It wasn't just me. I had someone on my team who I trusted and absolutely adored. Um, and so it was really helpful to have someone. So I kind of had like this agency model. I had a baby agency, but it was an agency. Um, and it was some of the unhappiest time of my life that like for about eight, nine months of last year, I mean, I took videos on my phone just so I could document it. I was 
constantly crying, not happy tears, like very sad tears. Uh I just felt like I thought I was in love and I wasn't. And that was so heartbreaking because it would have been so much more convenient if that was my thing. Um, And I looked at other people in the industry. I looked at graphic designers and web designers who were elite, you know, folks who were at the top of the industry who just do amazing, brilliant, creative work. And I looked at what they were doing and I thought, I don't know if I want to get there. I don't, because there's a lot that I still have to learn. And I thought, I don't want their job. Like, this is not where I want to be in a few years. And so that also broke my heart because I thought, oh, I'm back to square one. Even though when I look back at this journey, I know that I was never at square one. It was always an evolution. I was always sort of adding things to my backpack and learning along the way. Um, It, every time I thought that something was, the the one relationship for me and it wasn't it broke my heart a little more and I kind of had to come to terms with the fact that I don't have one perfect thing that I just have projects that I love to pour myself into that I that teach me a lot and that help other people and that kind of led me like exactly into passion land yep yeah I mean I think that's so that's so good because It does feel like, you know, you get a new interest or you get a new, even if you're not changing your business completely, maybe you're pivoting your audience. I've certainly done that. And Mm -hmm. it's like, now I'm interested in this thing. Do I need to burn it all down and start over? (laughs) But there is no, there is no starting over because you've been at this and it's all compounding on itself to bring you to where you are now. Absolutely. And and not just the business skills, which are very valuable, but also like internally, I think there's something beautiful, uh, beautiful about finding what you don't want. And then you carry that with you. So you find the stuff that you like, but then you also find the stuff that you don't like. Um, So like one thing for me that I realized in doing one-on-one service-based work is that the, the very high intensive client's work that takes up a lot of my time for um, like weeks on end is really hard for me. Like it's very taxing emotionally. I always feel like I should be giving more. And so I sort of have to like design what I do now so that I don't ever have to make myself feel that way. Um, So learning what you, what you love about the business and learning about what you don't love about the business or the industry is so valuable. I love how you said that. It really does compound over time. It's not, um, it's not starting over ever. And so Sam, I'm going to put you on the spot because you could go viral again and that your Mm -hmm. audience is your audience. And what if, you know, the birds start chirping and they say, can you do this? We want to see this. And you start getting those little calls from social media or whoever that want Mm -hmm. you to create for them. What's the boundary and how do you balance that with your own well-being in your business? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Um, because that, that's one that I'm like asking myself. So <laughs> one thing that I've changed about social media, I will say this, because I think this is so important for folks who are uh, using social media as a way to share their business or share what they do. Um, I stopped creating for the social media channels. So I don't make anything that I think will do well on TikTok or well on Instagram or Twitter, anything like that. I zoom way back out and I think of a concept that I care deeply about. And then I write um, about that. I, I start with a long form piece of content. So I'll write a blog post or I'll write I'll just give myself free space to write a lot about something that matters a lot to me. So like one I wrote recently was, Um, how to fall in love with your creative business. And so I write a whole long thing, um, maybe like a 10 minute videos worth of content. And then I will split that up into smaller bite-sized pieces. And I will share that on short form content uh, applications. So like TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. And that way I'm never thinking about how someone will perceive it. I am just starting with something that's true to my heart that I believe And then I'm breaking it down into smaller pieces and I'm sharing it. So that has emotionally made me feel so much better because if something does not perform well, I do not care because I still believe it. Like I am not pouring it. That wasn't your goal. It was never my goal. My goal is to make something 
that's true to me that I feel like other people can connect to. And if they don't, then that's fine. But if they do, then I know it's coming from a true place. And um, I, one thing that I've learned this year is the difference between attention and community. And I'm really wanting to build a community. Um, and I have received attention before and attention did not feel good. And I think there's this misconception that attention automatically equals money and success and happiness. And I can absolutely confirm that it does not. It, it's almost the opposite. Um, so if, if you're starting this year and working on your social game, community is like the most beautiful thing that you can build. And Don't authenticity, you know? true, right? But mm -hmm. uh, I, I, that reminded me of this quote that's um, attributed to Jim Carrey. I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but it's basically mm -hmm. like, I wish everybody could become famous so they can realize it's not actually the fame that they're wanting. It's yeah. the approval that they're wanting. And once you, mm -hmm. once you're basing your career and your worth off of others approval, mm -hmm. that's what will break you down. You can't, you can't build something and base it off of others' approval. It has to be something that aligns with your values that mm -hmm. you are proud of and that you are intentionally creating. Wow. I wish I knew that last year. That would have <laughs> saved me some therapy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, yes, I absolutely agree. And to go back to your original question, um, I have now decided, I've, I started the year with a business plan. So I wrote down everything that I want to do for my business, things that I will not do. And I've started doing this thing that I call my project prenup, where if I'm going to start something new, I will make a little prenup with myself and say, here is what success looks for me for this project or idea. Here's what failure looks like. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just like, if any of these happen, then this project is not working the way I wanted it to. Um, and that has been extremely helpful. So that way, when I go to make a decision, I can just go back to my prenup and see, oh, is this something that's going to suck up a lot of my time um, and not teach me something? Well, then I'm not doing it. Like right now I am working one-on-one -on -one with a client for um, an extended contract and I'm going to be working with him for a few months. But the reason that I'm doing it is so I can learn more about his industry and like sort of get paid to learn. So if it doesn't fit that, if it's just for an exchange of services, then I'm not doing that this year. Um, so it's just setting up boundaries, being honest with myself. And I, I've been trying this new thing where I think of myself a season ahead. So in the fall, I'm always thinking of winter Sam. And right now mm. I'm thinking of the spring version of myself. And I'm thinking, what do I want for her? Because what I'm doing now is going to help create a different life for her. So when I think of the spring version Ugh. of myself, I think, oh, I would love to be sort of enjoying the, the longer daylight going to yoga classes in the morning, getting a green juice, going to get coffee with my friends um, and working maybe four hours a day building these digital products and maybe doing a group coaching. And that does not look like doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one services. So I'm not going to set myself up to have to do a lot of one-on-one -on -one services. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's gold. I, I had never thought about thinking a season ahead and what you want to set up for for future Sam. That's a good thing to think about and journal on um, for all yeah. of us. Well, I want you to tell us about Passion Land. And I know that, you know, you're passionate about prioritizing imagination over productivity and mm -hmm. kind of creativity and squish days. Tell us about what are, what is a squish day? Um, okay. A squish day is like a day dedicated entirely to nurturing my relationship with my business or my idea or my purpose. So um, something that I found throughout all of these businesses is that if I didn't know truly why I was doing something, it would eventually like the house of cards would come down. So with fancy sips, I, the goal of it was to build something that was really big and impactful and connected people. And I got to do that. I got to build my first really scalable business. And so once I had done that, it kind of all came down because I didn't know what was next. I, I wasn't really connected with that purpose. Um, and so my some uh, soapbox that I'm on this year is that we should be extremely connected and understand our purpose, um, which is like why we're doing something. So why we're building our community, why we're starting our business. And um, is it okay if I mildly curse on here? 
you yes. believe me, right? Okay. So I have this, <laughs> I have this, <laughs> I am on a mission to get rid of the bullshit mission statements because especially on the branding side of things, I think it's really easy to write a mission statement that is total bullshit. That sounds really good. Like empowering- it sounds fancy. Yeah. And I'm sorry if you're listening and this is your mission statement. Like I'm not trying to make you feel bad about this. I'm truly not. But if your mission statement is something like empowering female entrepreneurs to achieve their dreams, that is, if that's what gets you out of bed in the morning, like I love that for you, <laughs> but more likely than not, that is fluffy buzzwords that you think applies to just enough people. But it, it also, it just makes you feel good. It makes you feel like that's a good mission. Um, but your mission statement should be so good that it gets you out of bed in the morning when you're making a lot of money or no money. And you should feel like really raw and connected to it. And if you don't know what it is, that's okay. Like you can take some time to find it. But once you do find it, I think it's really important to take a squish day once a month, which is where it's not like you're not working, but you're not doing that administrative stuff that you normally do. Um, actually, I'm gonna start that over. A squish day is where you take an entire day to connect to your purpose. So um, it's not being fully unplugged. Like it's not a day off. A day off to me is like sitting on the couch, reading a book or watching Grey's Anatomy or going for a hike with my husband. Like, and that's, that, that's fine. But that's on a tuning off, out. Exactly right. On a day off, I am tuning out. I am shutting my work off for a little bit. A squish day is not that, but you are getting away from your day-to-day stuff. So you're not doing any client work. You're not doing any inbox stuff. You just take one day to think about what your purpose is, how attracted you feel to it right now. Again, it feels a lot like a relationship. So do you feel like you're in love with your purpose right now? And if not, why not? Um, And I like to spend my squish day thinking about how I can, over the next 30 days, be even more connected to it and fulfill it even further. So what products or services can I work on that will help promote my purpose? Um, How can I, I, I'm big on having a good relationship with your business. So like, how can I make my relationship with my business better? Is it by scaling back my hours? Is it by doing more of the things that I enjoy? Is it by delegating things that I don't need to be doing that make me feel crappy about the business? Squish days just really, they're like couple therapy, but between you and your purpose, it's how you date your purpose. Yep. Yep. I really like that. So, so, okay. So maybe going for a walk and just like with no phone, right. And you're mm-hmm. just present with your thoughts. Yeah. Which is like weird. Cause that doesn't that feel, I mean, well, for me, it feels so unproductive. I'm like, oh my God, I can be <laughs> listening. I could be listening to this podcast. I could be listening to an audiobook. I could be learning something, but it's like, no, just like enjoy the silence for a minute. Think I spend most of mine on the floor. I just like put a yoga mat on my office floor and I just sit on my floor. I love to look through old journals. I pull out journals from like the last year or so and I flip through them and I kind of see where I've progressed. Um, I like to look, especially at the last 30 days about how I felt over the last 30 days and think, what do I want Sam from a month to now to be writing in her journal? How do I want her to be feeling? Um, But yeah, I mostly spend mine on the floor or on a yoga mat on my back deck, just getting a little sunshine. Um, I mean, sometimes I cry, sometimes I (laughs) laugh. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot like therapy. It feels like you bring out a lot of stuff, but that stuff wants to come out. And I always feel like rejuvenated after a squish day. I always feel like bubbling up with ideas and creativity. Whereas if I'm just on an autopilot running my business, I am fulfilling and I am like doing serving work and I'm, I'm, I'm doing, um, most of the time. And a squish day is a pause from the doing. And it's like the feeling. And I think the feeling is just as important as the doing. And it's blank space. You know, when you're serving, you, 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 you are not top of mind. Your client is top of mind. Um, and that's great. A lot of us serve, um, in some way or another, but, on a squish day, it is blank space. And I did like, just like a nickel's worth of research a few weeks ago, just on blank space for your brain and your brain actually needs just silence, like non, um, non stimulation. We're stimulated Uh constantly by screens and phones and shows and whatever. 
And if you have some of that blank space, that's when the ideas start to form together, like technical, I'm going to totally butcher like the neurons or whatever, neural Mm -hmm. pathways, all of that stuff that's in here. Um, You know, those things start to form and fuse together when you have that blank space. And so it sounds like laying on your floor on on a yoga mat, you know, is exactly it's and it's so simple. So, so simple. Mm -hmm. Like we can all do that tomorrow. Yeah. It's the hardest part is making time. And (laughs) I will say um, that the neurons connecting, um, that's also what psilocybin does. And so squish days were very much inspired by that. I just wanted to give myself a day to just basically channel that same energy at least once a month, Um, because it is really important because when we're stimulated, when we're doing things all the time, these notes just cannot talk to one another. They cannot connect. And so if we can just give them some time to like talk to each other, it's amazing. There's like a million dollar idea that can come out. And honestly, it's not even about the money. There could be something that makes you feel so happy. So like a way that you could be doing your business that will make you so in love with it that you could be missing because you're just doing. And yes, the rest is so good. Oh, that is so good, Sam. Well, I, I tell everyone where we can find you and, um, yeah, well, tell everyone where we can find you. Um, so you can find me on social media, um, passionland.co. That's my website and, um, my social media handle for most things. Um, I am going to be launching a YouTube channel this year. It's been on my to-do list for a very long time, uh, but there's a lot of topics that I really feel passionately about that I want to share. Um, and this year I'm sort of finding exactly where passion land is going to go. Um, I, I equated a lot to pottery. I take a pottery class once a week. And so if you've ever made anything out of clay, there's this process called centering, which is where you take this big hunk of clay and you get it perfectly centered on the wheel and you can't make anything out of it until it's perfectly centered. Otherwise, whatever you make is going to be wobbly and like not good. And that is the hardest part for me is centering it. It's honestly hard for me in class because it takes a lot of upper body strength, but I have been doing that with passion land for a while where I sort of know what I want it to be. Like I want it to be this, this beautiful thing that changes how creatives get to do business. But, um, I have been centering it for a couple months now and I'm still centering it. I'm not really ready to turn it into what I want it to be. But I know that I want the space to um, to help creative people have better businesses, whether that means that they're more financially successful um, or that they are businesses that they actually love doing uh, or that they give them more digital freedom. I think freedom is something mm. that we're all really craving. We, we don't yes. want to be building these businesses that are just little prisons for us to be employees in. And I've done that. I've built myself little prisons before. And it's so easy to do that. And I want to sort of liberate creatives from accidentally doing that and then spending 10 years doing that and calling it a business. So I I think it can be a lot better for all of us. And I want to help make, make the future of creative work a little bit better, a little bit more joyful and just more free, more exciting. Yes. That is huge, huge work. I can't wait to see where it is in January of 2024. Four. Um, so we will all be watching and thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Congrats on the podcast. Thank you. Oh, Sam Remble. So much goodness in that episode. I hope that you enjoyed learning a little bit more about creativity as self-care. And if you enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends and I will see you next time. This episode was brought to you by The Legal Apothecary. Hey, that's my business. I'm a licensed attorney and my practice is The Legal Apothecary, which is a female forward holistic legal service for creative women that want to focus on growing their influence and their gifts. And part of The Legal Apothecary is The Legal Apothecary Library, where I sell easy to follow contract templates for you to use in your business. As a podcast listener, use code PODCAST for a 22% discount on any of the contract kits that you find in the Legal Apothecary Library. Link in the show notes.